Hey, Crack fans, a quick note before we get to today's podcast. We recorded this before Novak Djokovic's visa was denied in Australia. Now, we recorded an emergency mini-break podcast with that piece of updated information. You can go find that right now on our YouTube channel. It'll be published as a podcast here later on today as well. But this conversation with David Kane happened before that official denial. Now, Djokovic was in limbo at the time we recorded. Still tons of valuable information found in this podcast. We set the scene, talk about the implications from a tennis standpoint as well, talk about where we go moving forward, and then we offer some thoughts on the first few days of action in Australia. Fantastic show, but wanted to include that note. Again, the updated podcast available on our YouTube channel or later on today on the mini break. For now, here's my first intro. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 5th. I do apologize for the lack of episode on this feed. Yesterday, it was my first day back in Indianapolis following a brief break to hang out with my parents. As such, had to catch up on a bit of work, just wasn't able to squeeze in a mini break recording session. But To make up for that fact today, we're going to make it a double mini break Wednesday. On this podcast, you're going to hear my discussion with Tennis Channel editorial producer David Kane about all things surrounding the Novak Djokovic story. For those of you who haven't heard, although likely all of you had, certainly it's the biggest story right now across the tennis world. It's even punctured international news. He has not yet been formally granted acceptance into the country of Australia to play the Australian Open on this show. David and I discuss where everything is at surrounding that situation. We offer our thoughts on the situation, how we can avoid it moving forward throughout this 2022 tennis season. We then also offer some thoughts on the first few days of action on the ATP and WTA Tour. Of course, this podcast, more Djokovic-centric than anything else. It is obviously the story right now, Uh, again, across uh, transcending all levels of tennis. But to make up for the fact that there is so much pro action happening right now, Now, we're going to do a second podcast. As I mentioned later today, I'll be joined by my friend Nate Walrith of Tennis Point to discuss not only the latest and greatest at Tennis Point, but to discuss everything happening on the ATP and WTA Tour through these first few days of play. Of course, if you're looking for some bonus college tennis content, hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. As our College Contender Series continues on today's shows, we break down number five Ohio State men, the number five Virginia women with John Parsons, Matt Stachowiak. Chris Helioris, two fantastic podcasts I know you all will enjoy. Of course, we're talking to as many Power 5 men's and women's college tennis head coaches as we can before the start of the season. If you've missed any of them thus far, we're over the 50 mark, and you can hear them all on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Find them all on our website, crackrackets.com. But of course, you didn't come here to hear the plugs. You came here to hear all things surrounding Novak Djokovic. I do want to quickly give a shout out to all of you listeners, to our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point for making these sort of sub-daily podcasts possible. As always, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use the promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. Get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with returning champion David Kane. Hey, Cracked fans, 
If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Joining us on the podcast for the first time in the 2022 season, but not the last, you know him as a returning champion here to our Crack Racket Show's editorial producer for Tennis Channel, Tennis.com. Of course, returning champion, David Kanyev, David Kane, welcome back to the show. Happy New Year, my friend. I'm welcoming you to the stage, as your shirt indicates. It's good to have you back. How are you doing? Snovim Goldam Sasha. I'm very happy to be here. And in, in a meme-tastic sort of start to this week, I needed to wear something that was an, an homage to one of my favorite memes, Taylor Swift's 1989 arena tour, during which she welcomed an increasingly absurd number of people to the stage. And that's sort of the mood I've been in since, <laughs> no, since, it's, since all this started. Tennis has welcomed us all to the stage very quickly here in the 2022 season. And the fun part has been the encore product has actually been excellent. Now, some of the players aren't playing their best, but that's led to some really fun results here early on in the season. But of course, that is not what we even get to talk about today. As we, the story right now, transcending not just tennis, but international news as well, all things surrounding Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic is the story right now in professional tennis. I wanted to bring you on the show to talk about the circumstances surrounding his entrance or lack thereof into Australia, into this 2022 Australian Open. Before I do that, you slipped it into that Russian impression. Would I be a Sasha in in the motherland if I went back to my roots and went, because you you know, I, I heard a Sasha in your Russian there. Is that, would that be my destiny? Yeah, absolutely. And Alexander, or Sasha. Yeah, it's, that's a it's a clean transliteration from our uh, from our tennis Russian petronymics. All right, I might have to start saying Alex in the streets, Sasha in Diminutive. the sheets. Yeah, that might be my new go-to saying there. I like that excuse for that. Uh, yeah, moving forward. So thank you, David. But with that said, again, 
this is the story. And just to provide some background for all of you listeners, I think it was on Monday, I want to say at this point, maybe Monday night, maybe it was Tuesday afternoon, who can remember, when Novak Djokovic announced on Twitter that he would be heading to Australia, that he had been granted a medical exemption, thus seemingly confirming that he has not yet vaccinated himself here. He has not taken any of the COVID-19 vaccinations offered you know, across the globe now at this point. You would imagine, you know, again, it was a question given that Australia has had significant uh, and serious regulations for allowing people into their country throughout this pandemic. And that was the question. Everyone was speculating. We saw videos of him hitting with people. What did that indicate? The balls he was using. What did that indicate? Well, you know, Dusan Lajevic's plumber was in the house and he overheard a conversation between the Deuce and Djokovic. What does that conversation indicate? It was all sorts of speculation finally seemingly put to bed with the Djokovic confirmation tweet that he was heading down to Australia. And in that moment, was Craig Tiley in the running to be the next, you know, uh, general assembly chairman, whatever the position is at the United Nations? Maybe, because it felt like he made the seemingly impossible happen. And obviously, Djokovic is Djokovic. And, you know, everyone... I would say from a fan, you know, I think everyone from the tennis side wants him in the tournament. It helps the the gate receipts. It helps the ratings, all of these different things. Craig Tiley, his role in this was to do anything in his power to get Djokovic into the Australian Open. Now, of course, the flip side to that is what do people think? All of us have been struggling through this pandemic since its emergence in March of 2020. And all of us have seen different, you know, things in our life be taken away because of that pandemic. And all of us who are following the rules, who are doing what's being recommended, getting vaccinated, wearing masks, doing all of these different things to see all of, and in particular the people of Australia, who again have had these rules put in place on them, for them to then see all of those rules waived for a tennis player, that was justifiably going to cause some sort of outrage. And we've seen, again, that outrage manifest itself in some of the decisions and some of the things that have been said over the past 24 hours. And obviously, the new caveat to this story, Novak Djokovic, arrives in Australia earlier on Wednesday, and he's not granted entrance into the country. There was a screw-up in the paperwork of his visa and you know questions about the medical exemption that he was granted. What was the real reasoning behind that medical exemption? Does it is it up to snuff uh, for the Australian people again? It's been a real show. There's no other way to describe it other than that. And again, there are many different angles to attack this at. We'll try to do so here on this podcast today, but I just want to open the floor up to you first. What has your response been to all of this? I mean, my public front-facing response to this controversy has been laughter. I mean, I have responded on social media with a lot of memes, and people <laughs> well, might be nice wondering. Well, to see you're in prime form already this season, David. That was my takeaway from that. Well, I woke up at, at 5.30 in the morning on Tuesday when the announcement came out, and I was meant to cover Bedosa as Arenka, as I as one would expect, and it was one all in the first set, and I thought, oh, good, I can sleep in for an extra 15 minutes, and within six minutes of that alarm, the Djokovic announcement came out, and I said, oh, I guess I got to got to cover this. This is worldwide news that he'd received an exemption. First, the assumption was that it was a medical exemption. Then reading the tweet, uh, the, rather the social media message, it said it was an exemption. Then there was possible debate over whether it was a non-medical exemption given to perhaps an exceptional alien, a multiple-time Australian Open champion. And that was perhaps on the books. It then later came out it was a medical exemption. And I think, you know, 
people might be wondering, David, why aren't you taking this more seriously? And it's because in a world where we have experienced, you know, mass death, hospitalization, people literally unable to breathe, the stakes here is will this multiple time Grand Slam champion have the opportunity to go win another Grand Slam champion? This is a story that really only affects Novak Djokovic in, in, in a pandemic that has affected so many people. This is a story that really only affects him, though there have been rumored to be several other people who have made application for medical exemption. It is un, unclear and unknown how many of those people were granted exemption. We know that, that Djokovic was granted exemption. Looking at the list of possible reasons why one would be granted such an exemption, it was unclear where he, which category into which he would fit. He, he By all accounts, we don't appear to know any long-term medical struggles or potential allergic reactions to the vaccine that he may have had. If you want to be at your most generous, what what people seem to be honing in on is the the possibility that he had COVID in the last six months. And looking at the timeline of that, there is a gap between the US Open and Paris where it's possible that he received or he suffered a second bout of COVID-19 as we know he did suffer it publicly in the summer, rather the spring of 2020. It's possible he, he underwent COVID again after the US Open before he played Paris. Now, unfortunately, we don't know that because for much of the fall, Djokovic was very coy about his vaccination status and sort of, you know, a testament to his sort of zig when you should zag tendencies throughout his career. Because we don't know, there is just a lot of questions around this um, exemption, whether it was a fair call on the part of the independent panels that awarded him this this vaccine uh, this vaccination exemption and it's it speaks to the question of is it that you didn't want the vaccine or it's that you can't get the vaccine and for much of the last two years the talk around Djokovic is that he didn't want to be vaccinated there was never any talk of that he could not be vaccinated and and I think that's what's created a lot of the initial firestorm and yes as we know he's currently isolated in a room without his phone he was being quizzed on border patrol what the extent of the vaccine exemption is, why he couldn't get the vaccine, the visa that he applied for, that he probably applied for every year before that has probably now been given an addendum to those who given exemptions or not. Now you have to be vaccinated in order to fulfill that visa requirement. And, and that also speaks to the idea that life is just more difficult for the unvaccinated right now. And whether that's fair or not, I would argue that, you know, in the spirit of everybody being vaccinated and, and working together against the spread of this vaccine, I would argue that it is fair. But that to me, that doesn't seem to be there. There's questions over whether that's a dubious call on the part of the Australian government to perhaps hold him at the border. It kind of tracks to me that they would fill out this visa without realizing that there was this new caveat that needed to be in place. But all in all, the do we want to see Djokovic going for this 21st Grand Slam? Of course, as tennis as tennis fans, this has been the narrative for the last year now. The calendar Grand Slam was on the line last year. Now, can he win this this you know umpteenth major? But ultimately, in the scheme of things, the stakes are very low, and that's why, as these things continue to roll out, I continue to get great humor from all of it. It really is amazing how frequently tennis is in the national news or international news now, and the story is nothing that has happened on the court, and that's immensely frustrating. I know for tennis fans everywhere, particularly in an era right now where things do feel open and it does feel like a time of change. There is parity at the top of both the women's and the men's game. We're seeing new faces emerge, and of course, this story overshadows all of that. And I think it was Mina Kimes who tweeted this out. I thought it was a great tweet. There's a very obvious solution to what could have solved all of this. Get the vaccine. 
Like, again, that is the simplest solution here moving forward. These vaccine requirements are because the science has proven that, yes, you can still get COVID, but your symptoms and your response to getting COVID after getting the vaccine will be immensely less severe than those who remain unvaccinated. And I am not a virologist. I am not a doctor. I'm not going to talk about how viruses mutate in unvaccinated people versus how they mutate in vaccinated people because that is not my specialty. I will say this. If you are not a scientist, you better be damn sure about your research. You better have some sorts of inclination to say why you are against the vaccine. You better have, again, as you mentioned, some sort of allergic reaction to where it is just impossible for you to get vaccinated. And all of these things, of course, are personal things. And there is something to picking and prodding every person's medical background. What, you know, what procedures are they getting? What medication are they on, et cetera, et cetera. What are their allergies? There is a degree of privacy every person, I think, wants when it comes to those sorts of things. But we're in a global pandemic. And again, this is one of those things where the Australian people have are, have suffered these same rules throughout the course of the past 15 months. And to grant an exemption, as you framed it, for someone who wants to win another Grand Slam tennis tournament, like... It's, it's a values thing. It's a, it's a weighing the importance of it. And in the grand scheme of things, you're right. Like the Grand Slam is not nearly as important as preserving the health of the Australian people. And now, again, you're going to – detractors would say, well, Novak Djokovic is one person. He's tested negative. What risk are you actually taking? It's, it's the principle. Obviously, you can't – it's, again, to tell the Australian people we've kept you under lockdown and quarantine, all these different things, and now we're granting this exemption – it's just asinine. And, you know, again, you mentioned another piece as well I want to follow up here. The coyness that Djokovic has displayed throughout these past six months is another reason why this story blows up the way that it has. Had he just been honest from the beginning, as much criticism as he very likely would have taken for explaining his stance of why he doesn't want to take the vaccine, well then, at least there's a degree of honesty. At least then we know from the beginning, okay, Novak Djokovic is not vaccinated. We can start the conversation from there as opposed to assuming and playing the guessing game whether he is or not. And it's just be, again, his lack of even a discussion of understanding why these vaccination uh, requirements are in place and just his coyness towards the entire thing. I think that's fundamentally, you know, again, why this story blows up, right, David, is because this is kind of reaping what you sow if you're Djokovic. Yeah. I mean, as I said, there were, there were, there was a lot of speculation which of those categories Djokovic could potentially shoehorn himself into. And had he mentioned, if, if in fact he did have COVID during the fall, that that's something that he, had i think then when the categories came out people would have looked at it and said okay well you know fair and unfair this is a situation that applies to Djokovic. he could get this exemption and play the australian open and we'll see what happens for the rest of the year i mean there's already been talk from the french president macron that he plans to make life for the unvaccinated very difficult and that's another that's the home of another grand slam tournament that Djokovic will be uh, planning to defend in 2022 um, that then, you know, there are plenty of strict rules in New York City where the U.S. Open is, strict rules in, in London where, where uh, Wimbledon is. I mean, this is a global issue right now. This is a global tour. And, you know, it just speaks to this sort of un- inability to read the tea leaves, to understand social cues, where people's heads are at. I mean, this is, again, this is someone who was given an exemption where there are players from Russia like Natalia Viglantseva who received the Sputnik V vaccine, and is not allowed into Australia because that was not a vaccine that was covered by the um, vaccine mandate that required players to be vaccinated to come into the country. So it's, it, there is 
when you have been so publicly against the vaccine for reasons of personal freedom, and now you are trying to claim personal illness or personal health reasons for why you cannot be vaccinated, I think then there is an onus on the player to be transparent. And I think just that going back to your point, I think the you could only afford so much medical privacy in the time of a pandemic. I mean, this is not something that only, again, this is not something that only affects you in this sense. This is something that you can then go around, carry, infect somebody else. And if you, of course, if you're vaccinated, that that is a possibility, even if you're vaccinated, but you, the, the statistics are much lower of spreading adventure spreading infection and causing severe infection if you are vaccinated and that creates this conundrum for people and it's just a, it's a tough one all around because we, we still don't know what the solution is will Djokovic be deported will he be granted a, an 11th hour visa exemption on top of his um medical exemption and how will the fans in Australia who are never super keen on Djokovic to begin with how will they react to the situation never forget this is a crowd who spent most of the 2013 Australian Open final booing Victoria Azarenka because they felt that she got a leg up in her semifinal, taking a medical timeout against Sloane Stephens. And they were super eager to boo her and let them know, let her know their dissatisfaction. And this is a situation that is going to be boiling for weeks in advance when he comes to Australia to play his first round match. What will the situation be like? And it may be a different tone for Djokovic, who is, yes, used to being the underdog, used to being the villain in many situations in these tennis matches, but I think this will be a different degree of scrutiny. I mean, the Australian, this is not just Australian sport, this is Australian healthcare, this is Australian society, pop culture, public at large. This is a big issue. This isn't necessarily going to be criticism that is only felt in booze. This could be, you know, public accosting. This could be, you know, the the, the attention from press conferences is going to be a lot more um, tough from journalists from Australia who are going to probably be in that room asking tough questions and how he will dodge those and volley those back. I think the sooner we get a definitive answer from Djokovic, the better. But I mean, even the fact that he's been isolated for as long as he has in the airport would indicate to me that this isn't as cut and dry of a case as maybe people would hope. I agree with you. And I also don't think it does us any good to speculate whether he will or won't be granted the exemption prior to us hearing out. Because again, at this point, you thought he was in. Now it sounded like he wasn't in. Clearly, they are in limbo there. And again, I I referred to this earlier. It's worth just understanding fundamentally, right? Craig Tiley, as the director of the Australian Open, his job is to put fans in the seats. His job is to drive the ratings, to make the Australian Open as much money as humanly possible. And so obviously he is doing everything in his power to ensure Novak Djokovic receives the exemption. But again, fundamentally, why did this issue become political and it did become a political issue in Australia is because of the policies put in place in Australia. And from the get-go, this just brings, I think, a lot, you know, what created this is the confusion between what the Australian government rules are, what the ATP tour rules are, and again, trying to work away to massage both of those things for this Australian open field. It, I guess just fundamentally, how do we avoid this problem moving forward? Is it A, just to institute a vaccine mandate on the ATP and WTA tours and just say we are not going to make exemptions? Because as long as there's an exemption rule, there will be confusion into how to grant those exemptions. And I do think, you know, to add to the hypocrisy, Tennis Sandgren got screwed. And to your point, I'm blanking on her name, I apologize, but to also be banned because you didn't receive the right vaccine, it's not as though she was not making the correct attempt to get vaccinated. It is not her fault that was the vaccine presented to her. She took what was available. Now, again, one would hope the tour will try to find a way to get her properly vaccinated at this point. Hopefully that's something that can be accomplished. But 
as long as these exemptions exist for some, there's going to be confusion for all. And I do think fundamentally that's the issue for the tours moving forward, right? And we can get into – I mean do you want to talk Australian politics, David? I suppose I mean, we could. I, first of all, I had to laugh that in, in the, <laughs> the heat of all of the Djokovic news, Tennis Sanger needed to pop up to remind <laughs> us that he was still in fact – ignorance and unvaccinated and did not it took the principal stance of not even attempting an an, an exemption because he didn't didn't qualify i I don't mean to cut you off i agree with you at the same time he did get screwed like it is absolute bullshit if they're going to grant an exemption for djokovic but not for tennis sandgren i would like to hear the reasoning behind that i don't think that is fair i think tennis sandgren has a reason to feel grievanced here because again this gets back to the confusion are we granting djokovic the exemption because it is a legit medical exemption there is something you know physically that just he cannot receive the vaccination or is this uh we want djokovic in the field and like if it's the latter then absolutely tennis sandgren should be ticked off because it is ridiculous i think knowing what we know about tennis sandgren i feel like this is a situation that he's not all too unhappy about he doesn't have to make the trip all the way to australia he gets to claim some sort of martyrdom in in his sort of quest against you know the thetans inside the the covid19 vaccine that's going to mix up your dna i don't know i feel like for him this is sort of an ideal situation um and he did he did publicly on social media sort of point out the fact that he maybe wouldn't have had the pull of a novak Djokovic to get the exemption um i have much more sympathy for vic lanceva who you know who i know and have interviewed and is um has, has, comes from a pleasant family and, and received uh, a vaccination and received a vaccine one. yeah you know it made made an, a good faith attempt and from what we can see you know medic you know statistically or not it does seem like the sputnik vaccine does prevent a degree of protection and so if if you are not granting it to those people then i don't know where you get off granting it to to djokovic again did he have covid last fall i mean i think that's really where this this discussion lives and dies if he tried to claim a previous covid infection sort of being cute with the rules of yes i was previously infected with covid but maybe not within the six month time frame and that is a different situation entirely i mean i've been reacting to this controversy the only way i know how which is through real housewives memes and gifts <laughs> and it really does it the Djokovic of it all really does remind me of a current housewife on Real Housewives of, of salt lake city and that's mariam cosby and she is the first lady of a church which many okay have regarded as a cult (laughs) and people do there is allegations that she is worshiped as god and i think but i think it's a similar scenario with djokovic in that there are not people around him who can get through to him and present an alternative point of view and i think we wonder why djokovic zigs so often when he should zag is that there are no voices evidently in the djokovic camp who are providing an alternative opinion who are not pushing back on his big ideas like the adria tour like deciding just just not tell anybody if he's vaccinated or not because that's the solution because as if that ultimately is never going to be challenged or tested and sure enough it was three months later there's no one here he is so rich so fake excuse me he is so rich so famous so beloved in his home country such a phenomenal athlete phenomenal talent an intelligent guy, you know, for all, for by all intents and purposes, speaks multiple languages. Can can is has tried all he can to represent the players through vis-a-vis the PTPA, which is another discussion entirely. The fact that he's sort of ostensibly thrown all the players under the bus, you know, forcing them to all get vaccinated, whereas he has tried to sneak through the border. If in fact he has done that, um, it's it, there's no one to tell Djokovic that he's wrong, and the only people who do that are just you know people far too far removed to have any kind of impact on on Djokovic's way of thinking and 
much like Sandgren, if this does not work out in his favor, I do feel he'll come out of this really not having learned a lesson so much as maybe feeling like he was martyred by the whole situation and just sort of driven out by people who don't like him or don't understand the way he sees the world. Yeah, it, it's not an unfair take to have. I would recommend Ken Sandgren did a very forthright interview with Mike Cation, Noah Rubin. I've had the chance to speak with him a bunch. No one's best is going to be sent out in 160 characters except for yours, David. It's just because, again, you can communicate via GIF in a way some of us and memes aren't able of doing. I would say, again. If it was longer, I would flip my hair right now. Yeah, I appreciate that. I vehemently disagree with his politics. Tennis Angren fundamentally is a decent human being, at least in my experience. I would say go listen to the podcast because it is an interesting one, and I don't plug other people's stuff lightly unless it's yours. Um, and so it, it is one I recommend. At the same time, the idea of martyrdom yes like i think you nailed it i think you said it perfectly and so you know i think that's the Djokovic component i do want to get back to moving forward what what to make of this what do we do to avoid this in the future and the obvious answer is just a vaccine mandate with no exemptions right for both tours and the stats have come out over 90 percent on both tours of the top 100 are vaccinated certainly that's a net positive as we look in the big picture and i do think on the women's side again certainly far less prominent examples and I, I just think they've done a better job of communication as always in the ATP tour you know that said you mentioned Macron in France the UK and England well, I guess England has had plenty of uh, restrictions as well I am fairly certain the United States would make an exemption for Novak Djokovic that's just right up our alley but again we don't have to get into em- immigration nuance here from the tour perspective What are you hearing about vaccine mandates? Is that the solution in your mind? Uh, Yeah, I certainly haven't heard anything. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hi, WTA listening to this. Um, (laughs) But I am, yeah, I do think it it would, the best best solutions to these sorts of problems are to eliminate gray areas. If you're trying to protect player privacy, this may be the best solution. I mean, Danielle Medvedev in the fall was saying, if you were in Australia, it is highly likely that you are vaccinated. And I think maybe we need to eliminate the highly likely part of that sentence and just say, if you are at a tournament, you are vaccinated because I think that this just creates it too much distraction ultimately from the tournament. I mean, this is, we're not even talking about who could potentially win the Australian Open. We're talking about whether Djokovic will be able to play. And then is that fair to the players who then are in the field, who maybe will feel like that their result was hinged upon the fact that Djokovic was not there. I mean, look at Matteo Berrettini. He certainly probably would have preferred Djokovic to be at far fewer of those lambs in 2021. Um, You know, I think if Djokovic is taking this principled stance that he is against vaccines and he is for personal freedom, then that is the stance that he should continue to take. If he can prove that he has some medical um, reason for why he cannot be vaccinated, why his body, which has allowed him so many other things and has allowed him to become the athlete that he is for some reason is not conducive to a vaccine that millions and millions of people have taken without side effects, then he should be you know, compelled to prove that. And I think you can't have it both ways. And I think that's what is so often the, the, the rub with Djokovic is sometimes he wants to have it both ways. He enjoys being the villain, but he also wants to be the hero. And I think you can't be both right now. I think you either have to be have to be who you are and right now who he is is stuck in an airport (laughs) with an an undetermined exit time absolutely i I, you said it perfectly eliminate the gray areas a mandate there's no gray area you are either vaccinated and playing or you are not playing that does seem like the simplest and most clear-cut solution 
It is never that simple. There is always a degree of chaos and complication when it comes to all things in the tennis world because, again, it's an international sport. Every country's got different rules. Every tournament has different agendas. Certainly an agenda on the mind of every men's tournament is how do we get Novak Djokovic in our field? So this is not a story that will be over now. Again, there are individual shots you can take at so many different people throughout this. But yeah, I, I like that your response is humor. That's why, how, why we've always gotten along so well because some of it you just have to laugh at. Like I was so done with the entire speculation game of Novak Djokovic. Is he playing? Is he playing? Is he, is he, is he, not, is he not playing? It's hilarious that that speculation might have actually been more valid because we still have no idea what the answer is. And that seemed to always be the theme of the speculation. And it's just like that he – it's just – so I guess this gets to a broader topic I want to ask you about. And then I want, do want to pick your brain about some of the actual tennis we see being played right now. But Peng Shui is an exception because that should have been an international storyline that transcended tennis. When we continue to wonder, again, how is she doing? You know, We have still yet to see her speak truly freely of her own volition, certainly to an audience of non-Chinese media. It would be nice to see her in front of them as well at a minimum – um, but you, you go to that, you talk about Naomi Osaka last year, her discussion on the mental health of athletes and bringing you know, a spotlight to the struggles of being a professional athlete and being in the limelight for that time. This is a third time where, once again, tennis is in the international news, but the actual sport itself is not the story that's being discussed. And I just, you know, again, I think for fans everywhere – what does that say about the sport right now? I, I think it says good things and bad things, but I'm curious your response that, again, sure, Djokovic's pursuit of the calendar slam of number 21 punctured sports media market a bit. But that's just it, like a bit last year. There was no Krejcikova comes from nowhere storyline leading ESPN. There wasn't Ashley Barty gets over the hump at Wimbledon, right? Raducanu, I suppose, as well at the end. She transcended media a little bit due to her age. And yeah, I think the U.S. Open women's side in general was a huge draw. But like, again, we're talking about bits and pieces of moments. Like, what does it say about the sport right now that oftentimes when tennis is the story, it's not the tennis that's the story? I mean, I think tennis does have a long and proud history of being political. I mean, the the, the founding of the WTA is inherently political. Women's sure. sports is inherently political. I think this is sort of just the world right now, which is that we are in a situation where everything has political connotations, everything, and especially a sport as global as tennis, where you can have situations involving athletes from China, athletes from Serbia. You're dealing with so many different cultures, so many different backgrounds, so many different worldviews that inherently you're going to have a much more political melting pot. Um, I think tennis is in sort of this interregnum period that I feel like it was sort of entering right before the pandemic. I mean, I was you were looking, especially at the women's side, when you're thinking of your Bianca Andrescu's, your Naomi Osaka's, Ash Barty's, and, and Sophia Kennan to start 2020, you felt like, okay, this is a new generation coming through. And maybe we're starting to see a little bit of that on the men's side, whether it was a Dominic team and now a Daniel Medvedev. We're not really congealed around a big three, much as Alexander Zverev would like to create a new big three and put himself in it. I feel like we're not really at a point where tennis has moved past your Federer Nadal's Venus and Serena Williams. And as those players play less, those sorts of stories are receding from the forefront of the headlines. And naturally the political stuff is going to, to grab center stage. I think in a, in a year or so, hopefully as the pandemic winds down and we start to get more established champions, we may see situations where tennis is becoming 
a headline for the sport, but I think part of what makes tennis so interesting to follow has always been sort of the interpersonal relationships, the fact that you can have one interaction with one opinion of tennis anger and that I can have a different opinion of tennis anger and, and uh, or his policies and not necessarily him as a person because I don't actually know him. Um, so I think in tennis, that's always going to be a part of it. And I think the fact that, again, that we're, we're without those big, big stars to take up a lot of the oxygen or take up a lot of the air, we are kind of, are, it is sort of happenstance that there are some big political stories happening when those big stars are not playing. It would be interesting to see how those two things would balance and coexist if it, this was happening at a time of a peak Federer or a peak Serena. Maybe there would be a bit more of a balance of those. And it would certainly be interesting to see what they have to say about a lot of these stories. We haven't really gotten hard quotes from them because they haven't really been in press conferences since a lot of this stuff has broken. So it's all of which to say, I think this is sort of comes with part and parcel of being a tennis enthusiast, spectator, fan. Um, so I think that's, I don't know if that's really going to change, especially now the way that the world is and the way we are also connected. It's fascinating framing. Ter- tennis has always been inherently political. I would agree with that framing. I do think, again, a look through tennis's history, whether it's the fight against amateurism versus professionalism, whether it's obviously everything to associate with the WTA tour, there's, in, in, you know, there's always, the two have always been intertwined. And so it's always a shame that when it's this sort of uh, connection between the two, but nevertheless, I agree with you. And I do think, I, I am sad because I do think some of, again, this is overshadowing anything we've seen on the court. Claire Lou's win over Kostyuk should be what we're leading this podcast with, David. And under normal times, it would have been. Uh, well, I think it, that one was a that one was a tough one for both I'm of hurt. us at the same time. Yeah, but we're Claire Lou fans here. This is a big Claire Lou. I mean, just believers in her I, game. I have a very specific memory of Claire Lou in mm-hmm. which she played Cecile Karantancheva in the 2017 sure. U.S. Open Qualies, and Claire Lou attempted to come to net. I think every point and had <laughs> about a 20 percent success rate. I have never seen so many players net an overhead, and yeah. she won the match. So I guess all's well that ends well. But it was a very traumatizing two hours to watch somebody like just miss net after net volley after volley after overhead after overhead and still win and yeah. really hadn't heard much from her since so maybe that, maybe that was sort of a long-term issue i don't know what her net success rate was her net conversion rate against kostiak was i i presume better yeah i know it was the long con that's what she was playing on us then but you know again to just final bow i suppose you brought up the pgpa and all of this and you know they recently sent out a tweet about the atp schedule and it's still notable again have any WTA players bought into the PTPA? Certainly not publicly, and so that's a. Have they been sold the to the PTPA? Is another question. Another fantastic point as well, and I don't think we've ever talked about this. So obviously, Djokovic being the face, one of the leaders of that group, where does this leave things with them? And again, it, it always feels like it, just a lack of clarity and communication between tournaments, federations, players. That's another thing. That's an aspect into this confusion as well. Where are you with the PTPA? I don't think I've ever gotten your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's certainly, I I did worry in many ways that it would be more quote unquote effective as than it has been. I mean, I, based on where Djokovic's and to some degree possible sympathies lie, whether they're, it's their affiliation with Justin Gimelstab or jo, Djokovic's, you know, um, antipathy towards vaccines. I did wonder if there was going to be pushes in those directions, would there be, you know, you know, a, 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 a more, a less stringent view on domestic violence. And would there be more uh, freedom to not be vaccine? Would those be pushes that the PTPA would make? Because you would think that this is very much as much as it's, it's as much as it is pitched as a players association, it very much feels like Djokovic and Pospisil's baby. And 
that babies are often made in the image of their parents. And it was interesting what what shape it would take. And it really has been a quiet front from them, especially in the wake of a lot of uh, interviews we've seen from Gadenzi talking about, you know, trying to revolutionize the ATP tour, given that the players, or at least the PTPA players have felt excluded from those conversations. I thought maybe there would be more of a pushback. I mean, we, we sometimes see graphical statements from the PTPA. I, I believe the most recent one had to do with Peng Shui. Um, it's an it's an interesting one. I mean, it's an, an association of tennis professionals. That's that is what the ATP is supposed to be. So I don't really know what what they can do in terms of or what they have done. And but it has been interesting in the wake of this vaccine exemption that there wouldn't have been more of a push towards even advocating for vaccine exemptions. Even, even something to say like, listen, if you've been um, infected with COVID in the last six months, you don't have to be vaccinated, and you can apply for a medical exemption. You would have thought that would even have been a strategy that they would have taken or promoted among their players. I mean, I think they've come in some ways a long way from that that strange promotional picture at Louis Armstrong Stadium. And, and in other ways, they have not come far at all. You so make it's, them it's, sound like injury attorneys. If you've been struck by the vaccine mandate, call I don't really know. Like that's... I don't really know what their use is. I don't, and I don't, and it's, there's much, it's always seems much ado about nothing. Then they're asked pointed questions about the WTA. And so we would love to have the WTA involved. And I don't know how much the WTA even wants, the WTA players want to be involved. I think the WTA, the ATP have always been after different goals in many ways. I mean, I think that the WTA has always striven for equality. And I think the ATP is often striven for more and more often seems to come at the expense of the WTA. I think there hasn't always been that same um, lineup in that sense, and, and and especially when you're trying to unite the tours, as, as there was an attempt to do. I don't, I don't know how that how a PTPA can continue to exist without equal representation from both the men's and women's tours. Um, all of which to say, yes, it's been it's been strangely quiet from. And I think Pete Bodo had a, had quite a um, quite an incendiary tweet about the PTPA that I recommend that people look up if it is still up by the time that this year is published. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the moment I saw it when he talked, it was, again, questioning the leadership of Djokovic and Pospisil. I was like, Pete Bodo, from the top shelf, welcome back, Pete. Um, no, it was it was surprising. I mean, I just, surprising from him, I suppose. It's hard to dispute or disagree with much that you pointed out there, David. Again, I know what they're not for. They're not for things Gaudenzi says that are stupid, like, yeah. congrats, we're all not for that. We know what they are for yet do we know what the platform is they speak in broad platitudes we'd like the players ranked outside the top 100 to make more money everyone would like that we'd like you know again what else though what what do you stand for how do you plan to fight for it what are the three tangible changes you're going to make to ensure that this happens are you going to put a salary cap at how much grand slams make are you going to distribute that revenue to other tournaments in a better fashion than it is now what are those solutions you have they have not offered any concrete solutions and again i hate to make this the rag on djokovic podcast but yeah it it's it's not the dragovic podcast yeah, the, yeah hey great shot um yeah, it's just – it's tough to look at the first, whatever, 15 months of now of the PTPA and view them as a success. Like what's the case that they've been successful? They have had a really good photo shoot. Like that's it. They delayed a vote. I remember yeah. there was calls to delay a vote and, and now the it's ATP, been so long that I yeah, don't even remember. <laughs> the ATP uh, – the development plan or whatever. The uh, We had Brett McCormick on the show to talk about it. Not, that's not what it's called, the development plan, but the ATP plan moving forward. And they were like, no, we don't like it, the copy, whatever. You're right. They stopped a vote. That ultimately passed. Like 
What are, yeah, what do we do? They delayed here? it. They didn't yeah. say stop the vote. They, all they wanted to do was delay it. Yeah, so. exactly. They delayed it a bit longer. It's a storyline certainly to monitor. And again, something that's a non-court story, on-court storyline. But with that in mind, I have you here. We've got, I believe, six ATP and WTA Tour level events happening this week. ATP Cup, Adelaide, Melbourne for the men, Adelaide, Melbourne, Melbourne for the women. There are so many tournaments. They all have the same name. They're all happening in the same city. (laughs) No chaser, straight shots, David. That's how we get into this 2022 professional tennis season. I'm just going to open the floor to you because, again, there's a lot of individual results we could talk about. I'm sure you ended up watching that Bedosa-Azarenka match. Boy, was Vika swinging big. That was my takeaway. It was 2020 U.S. Open Cincinnati, uh, Western Southern, excuse me, Vika, where just C-ball, hit-ball big. I thought Bedosa played well. Vika was just outstanding. I would say every player right now, I've never felt more, I mean, Empathy is the wrong word. I've never related more to these players more than I do right now because all of them look half a step slow coming out of corners, or I should say 95% of them. Like, I watched the Sakharisa Danzig match. There were times when Sakari looked like she had cement in her shoes, where it was just like coming out of a corner. That was not the Maria Sakari from 2021. And again, first match back. Let's not overreact. She ends up winning that Zidancic match in the end. And, yeah, I know she lost to Shelby last night, but Shelby's swinging big right now, much like Vika. Uh, again, similar performances there. Barty wins. There's a lot of good stuff. Kaya Yuvon, I'm still on the Yuvon bandwagon. Had to throw that one out there for you. Let's start WTA. Your thoughts on the first couple days. I mean, it's hard to go anywhere else than Arena Sabalenka serving performance. Oh, I, I mean, was trying to really... avoid it. You knew that's a dagger, David. I mean, like, I'm I'm also very happy for Kai Yuvan. Smart, great girl, good friends with Igor Sviantek. You just feel like there's a lot of intellect and talent emanating from that youngster. Strikes a beautiful ball. Clean, precise hitting. Just should not have made it out of that match. <laughs> I mean, so much of that. Sabalenka match lived and died on the Sabalenka serve. And it was very much a continuation of the way she was serving in Guadalajara, most worryingly, a match after which she said, I think I need to spend the offseason working on my serve. And then <laughs> if this is the result, I don't know, <laughs> maybe take a week off serving a little bit. I, I, it's <laughs> it's tough because she goes big. I mean, it's a big, formidable motion. I love watching it. It's so rarely effective. <laughs> I mean, like it, it does remind me of a Dinara Safina of like that, the way that the serve deteriorated with increased pressure. I, it's just, it's a rough one to, to, to diagnose because so much of the serve is muscle memory. And how do you, you know, really fundamentally change it in a way that's going to create um, a tremendous difference in how you're delivering that first ball. It's just, it's a rough one because I predicted very big things from Sabalink in 2022. And if this is the way she's going to be serving and even not, able to turn it around, take a set, you know, just, just was not serving well at key times. And more importantly, not just the overall poor serving day, just the fact that these were just coming thick and fast from her. It's just feels like Barty has a, certainly a few more weeks at number one in her having reached, I think, a hundred consecutive weeks with very little challenge from, uh, from the rest of the field. And, and even with, you know, 2020 semifinal points coming off from her and, you know, um, Sabalink is losing her Abu Dhabi points. I think there's some 2020 Doha points that might be coming off from uh, from Sabalenka's ranking. So I think that's going to create an even bigger divide. Um, great to see Naomi Osaka battling through Alize Cornet, just sort of a, you know, not a clean match by any stretch of the imagination, but just a, a positive match. Um, although it did seem like that Cornet did have her chances late in that second set early in the third. 
probably a reason mm-hmm. um, why Osaka is Osaka and Corne is Corne. And, you know, good to see Simona Halep getting the win over Destiny Ayava, not necessarily the, the biggest, you know, uh, matchup in terms of spotlight. But then, yeah, Vika Azarenka, the, the Paola Azarenka match reminded me very much of the way Paola played Muguruza and played a solid match against Muguruza, but Muguruza was playing phenomenal tennis. And what can you do? And it was just sort of the thing where I was watching it thinking, you know, if you're Paola, thank God she played like this today and not in the final of Indian Wells, because it would have been a tremendously different fall for, for Badosa if Azarenka had been able to finish that Indian Wells match the way that she played most of that, um, that match in Australia, in Adelaide, (laughs) they're all just kind of, so just one big mush of, of matches and and tournaments, but, and then, and then the match with Barty, um, overcoming Coco Goff from a set and a breakdown, worrying stuff from Coco Goff, because you feel like that that's sort of been, been her hallmark a little bit to not, you know, come away with these close matches or get into tricky, unnecessarily tricky situations in these matches. That's sort of a red flag early in the season, but hopefully you feel like that she'll be able to overcome that with more experience and, and, and some more mental toughness, but you know, it's all in all it's the season has started. It's been very difficult to pay attention to it in light of Djokovic really taking up a lot of the oxygen. Yeah, no. And again, no pun intended. Yeah. He's Alize Cornet years old, uh, uh, is Coco Goff's career. So, you know, again, still very early. Um, but to, to a bunch of things you said, I do think there's a theme, like even when Sabalenka lost, the match was still on her terms. The Vika match, on her terms. Osaka's match, even when she didn't play her best, on her terms. Shelby Rogers winning over Sakari. Early in the season, having those weapons to be able to play on your terms, make things a little bit easier for yourself, it's always going to be helpful versus the players who want to physically get into these matches and, again, find their rhythm and wear you down. And, you know, Simona Halep looked good in match number one. And we are not that far removed. I did a podcast segment on this last week from Simona Halep being, like, the definitive best player in the world in 2020. She was the best player in the world until Sviantec smoked her at the French Open. But prior to that, she was, in my opinion, the best player in the world pretty clearly. And it's just if healthy, don't count out Simona yet. But I do think the power players right now have the advantage. That would be my takeaway in the first weeks of the year, and that's just something to keep in mind to look for. You know, even Elena Rabakina didn't play great against Storm Sanders, but there were times when she would just sit on that forehand cross court, you lose. And that's why Serena Power, uh, Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club will continue to exist because the players who can hit that gear it's an inherent advantage. I know that's a very basic, but that would be my take. That would be my biggest takeaway. Any any agree or disagree with that sentiment? Well, just that the country club is going to widen the margins so that it can fit Sabalenka's serve. Well, you've heard Jeff Sackman's theory. I've told you this, right? I have not told you this. Jeff Sackman— I think I've, I, I think I've heard it, yes, yeah, when, it, he, when he's not talking about punch twice. Yeah, exactly. It's the safe in the locker of the president's suite at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. No one knows the safe. Someday you're going to unlock it, and it's just going to be a photo of Sabalenka. And it'll be the day she <laughs> figures it all out. And it's like, yeah, that, that checks out because, yeah, again— we all see it, like that she almost won that match. What was it, 18 double faults, something crazy like that? She still almost won it. That's Sabalenka in a nutshell. But again, first few days, very, very nascent stages of this season on the men's side. ATP Cup, who be her They say you're not a real player till you drag your country to a Davis Cup or ATP Cup semifinal. He's done that now. And shout out to Camille Matrizak as well beautiful backhand man that thing's fun to watch um and he's 25 years old makes sense prime starting now you look at some of the other matches early like again if you're looking for trends to carry over from last season 
I mean, Tenassi Kokonakis is pretty good on the challenger circuit. Nice to see him get a couple of main draw wins early on in Adelaide. You know, I, I think some of the young guys continue to look good in their early stages. Nice to see Tommy Paul get a win, Max Cressy, Mackie McDonald from an American standpoint. Fritz looked good as well. Like, ATP Cup's been fun. Where are you at with the men? I mean, for me, it's all about Medvedev. It's just like in the absence of Djokovic, he is our de facto number one player. And how does he, the, and not only our number one player, but the best hardcore player coming into the Australian is Open he, where he I'm, made I the know, final. We've, I hate to say it. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but hasn't Zverev looked that good of late? And again, we're just talking about the tennis. Always worth mentioning when you bring him up, go read Ben's pieces for Slate.com, for Racket Magazine, serious allegations of physical and emotional abuse. He you know, at the hand, his girlfriend experience at his hands, always worth mentioning that component, but you watched him at the tour finals. You watched him clean up on Cam Norrie, clean up on Taylor Fritz. Like, I'm not comfortable saying Medvedev's the clear-cut number one. I think those two guys, I think it's both of them. They're the clear-cut number two. Like, I know that's digging into the zero big three. I don't think it's a big three. I think on hard courts, those three guys are better than everyone else. I think you can separate those two thoughts. But I like I don't think you talk about Medvedev being the story. I would argue it's both of them. Like now, the spotlight is on them both. The the opportunity is there. I, I love, but he beat Taylor Fritz as a reason why someone should be number one in the world. I mean, he beat Medvedev <laughs> and Djokovic too. Like at the World Tour Finals, we yeah, saw the it. World Tour Finals, which he's done before. I mean, like I take very little stock into the World Tour Finals, much as I love Krikor Dimitrov. I mean, like sure. I feel like it's not the the World Tour Finals is not really been a bellwether necessarily for I mean a little bit maybe Medvedev won it in 2019 and then had 2019 or 2020 no I think 19 uh oh, okay, or well, no, no no 2020 20 you're right he won it in 2020 he and goes then undefeated the ATP Cup yeah. running into the eight that Australian Open final he had a hold percentage better than prime Isner and a break percentage better than prime Djokovic he actually broke the I, numbers yeah. and I think Zverev is the the, the much as I, I, first of all, I don't really watch Zverev unless I really, really have to. I think the last time I watched him was the um, U.S. Open semifinal. Sure. Um, and that just speaks again to best of five being the continued bugbear for Zverev and even to a lesser extent since the I mean, like, I think if you're going to ha- make a big three, it's got to be three people who could really perform their best at Grand Slams. Zverev is as close as ever to doing that. He has not done it yet. And so <laughs> at least for these next couple of weeks, I will, I will hold back on calling him my de facto number one. What I was going to say about Medvedev though, was a rough entry. I mean, I felt yeah. like the sort of the pre, um, the pre-tournament mood and vibe. It felt like it, I made a point of it to say on Twitter when I wasn't using my gifts and my videos, I said with words that joke that it was after seeing so many players struggle with the pressure of winning their first Grand Slam title to see Medvedev be lighter brighter his skin looked clearer like he just looked so much happier having gotten that u.s open title under his belt and um then was surprised to see him play sort of a wacky match against ugo and bear i mean got 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 it back together for dimonor but it'll be against dimonor but it'll be interesting to see how he fares against berrettini if that match ends up happening who knows <laughs> but you know like if they if those two end up playing each other and and then that match goes through how maybe it performs against one of the big name players who he will conceivably have to play in a Grand Slam quarterfinal or semifinal this year, or even a final, like that'll, that's that'll be an interesting test of where Medvedev is. But um, so you're yeah, telling me he... you weren't watching Rusevori versus oh man, who did he even play? I think he had. Oh hold on, I'm, I don't want to look this up. I can remember this. Rusevori Baez. You weren't watching that. I mean, that's a whole other conversation about ATP Cup. I mean, in yeah. through it, through the ashes of Hotman Cup, we've had to witness some pretty wacky ties are you telling me thanos belongs in the avengers movie and not at the atp cup stage 
<laughs> no, it's yeah, I like the sound. That's good. That's funny. Um, no, I Get like to the soundboard. The thing is, yeah, exactly. I like ATP Cup. I actually do fundamentally like the idea of it. What I would do to change things up, I mean. Obviously, I would prefer Hopman Cup because for listeners who can't see this, David just gave me a look of disgust that said, well, what about Hopman Cup? Obviously, I would prefer Hopman Cup to, to ATP Cup. I think they had that solved. I think that's a separate conversation. ATP Cup itself, I fundamentally enjoy. Just don't do it by country. Bring in the top 30 guys. Give me ten, five captains, eight captains, however many you want to do. Let's pick teams. Let's have fun with this. If we're going to screw around, let's screw around. It's when you start giving out points for this event that it obviously becomes ridiculous. And I think that, that it's two separate things. ATP Cup, fundamentally, I enjoy. The the Michigas surrounding it, less so. Well, so what you're saying really is that you enjoy the ATP and you enjoy cups, but... I would argue I just enjoy cups. I enjoy cups. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not even ATP. You enjoy the cup, but like the way that the ATP has 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 created the cup, maybe could be a little bit better. I mean, that is an interest. I mean, that seems more like a labor cup situation, perhaps. But I do kind of like the idea of taking your getting a top two, getting top two players, top three players, and having them draft. I mean, get them get them on the court for the PTPA photo again. Make it the All Star game to start the year. Then we can do fun things like, hey, who's the fastest doing? You know, it, it was called for us Dirty Dozens, where you go, you know, alley to alley or whatever, and Dirty Dozens because we had to do it twelve yeah. times. And tennis but, has a yeah, yeah, it's like that's tennis the, has a proud history exactly. of exos to start the season. Whether it's your Kunyangs, Kunyangs or your um, Hong Kong, your yeah, Mudalas. You know, it's it's. An easier way to kind of ease into the season, unless you're Marion Bartoli playing at your McGrath in Australia's Hotman Cup. You were playing that, playing that to the bitter end, playing that every point. Or Kaya Kanepi last counts. year, just like I'm playing all the ITFs. I don't care what you guys are doing. Before Queen, it. yeah, exactly. And then, and, then, and then rocking up to beat Sabalenka. Yeah, one exactly. of those it always comes back to a tough Sabalenka loss, doesn't it? With you, um, yeah, I, I do. Yes, and I will say this again. I'm going to do this in the intro. I think for five to ten minutes, so I won't bore you with it. Man, the Americans are real. Like, I really do think Tommy Paul, Mackey, all these guys who aren't just, you know, the headliners, Fritz Opelka, Tiafo, and, uh, well, I guess Tommy's part of that generation. But, like, I think all those guys' success at the end of last season was real. Like, do we have a Grand Slam champion? Maybe not. But I know you guys were writing about this for Tennis.com. I do think there are going to be... 10 guys in the American mix who are competing for second rounds at or second weeks, excuse me, at Grand Slams. And like, if you can get three, four Americans into the second week of a Grand Slam, anything can happen. You can get a quarter finalist. Like, there is that sort of opening right now, in particular in men's tennis. And I think that's one of my takeaways from these first couple of days, if I'm watching most closely again for little storylines, that the American men are that good. And if you're talking about ATP Cup, it's interesting. It feels like the the ATP field itself was sort of turned into a little mini ATP cup. If you mm-hmm. think about the Russian men, the Italian men, now the American men, you know, to to a lesser maybe degree, the Australian men. I mean, I think there's, and you go back to that picture of Fritz Opelka and Paul. I think holding like a super soakers from yeah. a few years ago. Like that's, it was really it was cool to see Tommy Paul kind of round out that trio with the way Fritz was able to. And I think that it speaks to the fact that these generations of guys they see one succeed and it kind of does bring up the other two and even like to have 
Opelka have the year that he have, and then kind of ins- maybe maybe I don't know if Fritz has said this, but to inspire Fritz to have the season that he the end of the year that he had it in Indian Wells, and then inspire Paul to to do as well as he did at the end of the season and be able to carry that into 2022. That's sort of the new test now for for these sort of untested guys sort of performing at this level week in week out. But yeah, I think you could certainly it's much more credible to see any one of those three perhaps make the fourth round of the Australian Open than you could have said last year, for sure. Yeah, and again, whether it was Sandgren a couple of years ago, Francis Tiafo did it in Australia as well. You look last year. Tiafo, certainly. Yeah, yeah, Fritz went five sets with Djokovic. Tiafo played Djokovic close as well. It's a good event for the Americans. Hopefully we get a healthy Brooksby in the field as well. And, you know, it's worth remembering he, Nakashima Korda, that's that even younger generation. I think there are some other really exciting young Americans out there that are competing right now on the challenger circuit as well to be on the lookout for. And, you know, you're looking for college ties. Rinki Hijikata, shout out to him, qualifies for the main draw. Uh, I think it was either Melbourne or Adelaide, but he knocks out Dennis Kudla, gets a win over Henry Laxanen as well. Very unlikely he's going to North Carolina. You guys should see David's face. He's got so many thoughts on this. Um, but These are just names. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like that. Um, Words. Yeah, no, again, it's been a very fun first few days. But with all of that said, David, what are you working on? Tell me what I can expect from you here over this month in January. Well, I'm, I'm actually getting into some late hours the next couple of days. I'll be covering um, some newsworthy matchups as they unfold. Nothing really set in stone. So far, I, I was proudly on the, the front lines of the Mariana lucic Baroni comeback beat, uh, as she announced uh, last week. She's working on perhaps something of a comeback, just had a baby um, at the beginning of last year and had had hopes of coming back. I mean, you, you think of the way that she was able to strike the tennis ball. That's not something that goes away with age or with um, with motherhood. I feel like, you know, if she is fit and she was she was tremendously fit when she was playing at peak tennis in 2017, making that second Australian Open semifinal, I think that really anything is possible. And I, she certainly looked good in that picture practicing with her brother Miro. So hopefully we will see her back at some point, perhaps this season, I'll be in touch with her in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully we can get a nice exclusive going for, for Mickey, but otherwise, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing how things pan out. I feel like we're going to jump off this podcast and there'll be another chapter in the Djokovic development. We'll have to have another addendum to it only available on Patreon. I'm selling, I'm selling you a Patreon. Uh, <laughs> you want to, if you want the full Djokovic saga, $2 a month or more. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, uh, well said. No, the most recent update I had, and it came from Paul Sackle. Sackle. I don't know. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. He's got the, yeah, uh, Victorian political reporter at the age at 5:30 a.m., which I think is the time it was a little bit ago. Six hours after Novak Djokovic landed in Melbourne, he's still being questioned by border force officials in an airport room. They're assessing docs to support his vax exemption. A source said, "The longer it goes, the smaller the chance he'll be permitted entry." That's where things stand at the end of this podcast. I will make a promise to you listeners. I will message David whenever we have the final conclusion to this saga and invite him back on the show. Now, he may be doing things because he's an important man, and nowadays the podcast requests just fly his way. I thought we had him exclusively, folks, but I can't afford him, to be honest. Let's be clear. Um, No, again, you know I'm reading everything you're doing on Tennis.com. Everyone should be as well. I am always immensely grateful for you taking the time to come on this show. And yes, this will not be the only time. I promise this will not be the only time we have you here in 2022. I appreciate it. In in the words of Lisa Barlow from Salt Lake City, can you please stay for me? Can you please stay for me? You make me feel safe. (laughs) I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you as always. Happy New Year. Same to you. 
Hope all of you enjoyed this conversation with Tennis.com editorial producer David Kane. A huge thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat. I say it all of the time. I promise you he will be back on the show throughout the course of this 2022 season. Hopefully next time we'll be able to have a more tennis-centric conversation as we usually do, but obviously this Djokovic story, the story right now across all of tennis, no person who could break it down with more nuance and, again, more candidness, honesty than David. So I appreciate his passion as always, for coming on to this podcast. Of course, again, I mentioned this at the top, plenty of other content available for you all right now across our Crack Rackets platforms. You want to hear some college tennis talk, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. We've broken down our top 10 teams heading into the 2022 season, or at least the teams number 10 through 5 in our preseason rankings. Of course, you want to hear from the Power Tennis Coach, five tennis coaches, excuse me, head on over to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. I've talked to over 50 of them. You can hear all those conversations conversations again uh, either on that cracked interviews podcast or you can find them on our website crackedrackets.com speaking of which how is all that content possible because of the endless effort of our super producer daniel westoff who as always has a of an editing job to do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, of course, Nate Walrith from Tennis Point going to be joining me later today for another Tennis Point Tuesday on a Wednesday. We'll talk all things Tennis Point. We'll also go into further depth on some of the action that's happening this week. But of course, again, tennis-point.com, the promo code is CR15. With all that said, for my fantastic guest, David Kane, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Oh, excuse me. Leave it in, Westoff. We'll talk to you all later today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone.